Well, greetings, Renaissance Church. I'm so excited to join you again and be able to break open the word together. I was so encouraged and humbled when uh, Jordan uh, asked me to come and share uh, another opportunity, another time. Um, I've been inspired watching uh, the work, listening to the timely messages that have been given in this incredible season that we've been in. Um, I think about how much has changed since the last time I uh, shared with you about a year or so ago. And I was particularly moved by the March for Souls and Bodies. It happened just a few days after uh, the British Church, we led our protest and had over 100 churches participating. And it's so significant to see what God is doing right now in this moment that we're in. And there's a lot of calamity between pandemics and protests. There's a lot of storms that are happening. Like we're in the midst of very uncertain times. And that's why I wanted to share with you this word uh, about going through storms. It reminds me of a few months ago when I was flying from Michigan to uh, New York. Y'all remember that, like flights and getting on airplanes? But while we were there, it was the last uh, flight of the night. And we, after about, you know, we make our you know, initial descent and we hear uh, from the cockpit, you know, the captain speak to us. Uh, you know, we're going to be experiencing a little turbulence. Um, so we need you to uh, put your seats in the upright position, um, put your tray tables uh, up and um, fasten your seatbelts. Service in the cabin will be discontinued. Um, uh, brace yourself for a little turbulence. And that's always an interesting moment because you're like, okay, what's about to happen? And then there's like two levels of turbulence. There's like rumble, like, duh, 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 duh. and then there's like, wait a minute, <laughs> is this like a problem type turbulence? Like when you're like really shaking. And we were in that second uh, category. But the pilot and the captain told us he was going to try to go around the storm uh, to avoid it, but he couldn't. And so we ended up having to turn back halfway through the flight back to Michigan and stay overnight. And as I thought about that, it reminded me of this passage in John chapter six. And it also reminds me about how different Jesus is from that pilot, because Jesus doesn't really roll like that in many different ways. He doesn't lead us in our life experiences through storms on the ground as that pilot tried to do at 30,000 feet. John chapter six reveals that Jesus takes us through the storm, reveals himself in it, and brings us to the other side. Now, right before this particular moment, when the disciples find themselves in the storm, we, Jesus had just used the disciples to feed over 5,000 people. In fact, it was 5,000 men. We know from uh, the accounting in the various passages that it was about 15,000 people total, which also meant that this was Jesus's largest, most seen, most public miracle. But this test that he had, he had a test for the okay, uh, most seen miracle. Jesus tested them at that moment by saying, what are we going to use to feed these people? And they didn't really know. But in this next test, he's not only going to ask them how they're going to feed others, but will they trust him with their very lives? We know that it says that Jesus told them to get into the boat because in a different account in Matthew, 
it makes it clear that Jesus instructed them to get in the boat while he stayed on the other side and saw the crowd off. And we find ourselves in John chapter 6, verse 16, and it says, When evening came, his disciples went down to the sea, got into a boat, and started across the sea to Capernaum. Now, these fishing boats, uh, we know from archaeological finds, could hold a maximum of 12 to 15 people. There were 12 disciples. So this boat was very full. And in the midst of this boat being full, it says in verse 18, the sea became rough because a strong wind was blowing. The sea became rough. It became choppy. And this was a regular, frequent occurrence in the Sea of Galilee because a little bit of a geography lesson, there was a mountain range around the Sea of Galilee, which brought cool winds from the Mediterranean seas from the west. And but on the eastern side, there were hot and dry winds that would come in from the desert. And if you know anything about storm fronts, you know that when a cold front mixes or combines or is confronted, collides with a warm front, it creates storms. Now, these storms still occur in the Sea of Galilee today. They're life threatening often, and they often occur without warning. And this is true for us. We are in the midst of global storms right now that came without warning, that are life-threatening, whether it be racialized violence, whether it be uh, a pandemic that is disproportionately impacting people of color, but is sweeping all over the world and killing by the thousands. There is storms that are happening, and storms come when you least expect them. I can, I can just see the disciples now still high off the celebration of just seeing 15,000 people fed and, and just being like, man, we're on the top of the world. This is a, a sea that they were very familiar with. They were fishermen. So this was just another moment in time that they were just going to go from one side to another, like getting on the subway. And in the midst of that moment, they get hit with a storm. Now, I mentioned earlier that Jesus is not like the pilot that I experienced early on. And Mark 6 helps us to see why. And another cross reference to it, it just makes it clear that Jesus knew that there would be a storm. And yet he sends them into the storm and he's not physically there with them. And unlike the pilot that I experienced, he didn't say, "Uh, uh, disciples, you're going to be experiencing some turbulence. uh, So, uh, you know, buckle in. Nothing, no warning, just all of a sudden coming from the heights of ecstasy and joy to calamity and chaos. And that's something that I think all of us can relate to. What are some storms that you're facing right now? Are they financial or maybe a physical storm? For some of us, it's emotional and social even right now, just dealing with the realities that are all around us? Has it taken you off guard? That's the nature of storms. But fortunately, that's not the end of the story. In verse 19, we see when they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and coming near the boat, and they were frightened. Now, 
we get more insight again in another parallel passage in Matthew 14, but it says that the boat by this time was a far away from the land. It was beaten by the waves for the wind was against them. And in the fourth watch of the night, we are told, he came to them walking on the sea. When the disciples saw him, look at the reaction, and walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, it's a ghost. And they cried out in fear. Now, sometimes we read this and we're so familiar with the story that we forget what it's like. The fact that it was the, it's saying the fourth, third, fourth watch of the night, it's like somewhere between three and six in the morning. A journey that was only supposed to take them about an hour and a half right after dinner time ends up, they're just staying in the midst of it for hours of battling for their very lives and against this rough and choppy sea. In the midst of that moment, in the dark, while they're fighting for their lives, they see a figure walking on top of the water. Now, quick poll. Up until that time in human history, how many people had walked on water? Zero. And so their immediate thought was fear. Their immediate reaction was to be afraid. You have this winds coming. The winds are whipping against you. And it's also stirring up the waves underneath you. So their whole experience is topsy-turvy. And then in the midst of all of that, they experience this ghost. Now, there was a local legend that said that the ghost of those who would die from this sometimes getting caught up in the Sea of Galilee in these storms, that the ghost would terrorize uh, people who were on the sea. That was a local legend. So storms are scary. And in the midst of that scariness, they end up promoting false beliefs. It's like, I mean, imagine the situation. It's dark, uh, you know, it's dangerous. And in the midst of a dark and dangerous situation, you're seeing someone coming at you very fast. That's, a, that's pretty scary. It reminds me of that scene in Get Out when already it's this ominous circumstance and it's like, yo, where am I? And I think people might have my, like, might be coming after my life. And then there's this guy, the gardener just sprints toward Daniel's uh, character um, and like he just gets frozen in the midst of it. Now, and the guy just turns away. He wasn't coming at him to hurt him, but in the midst of a scary situation, fear just amplifies everything and it causes us to have false beliefs. False beliefs like, um, you know, this shouldn't happen to me because I am a good person and I do good things or I do deserve this because I'm an evil person or God is angry at me because of my past or this situation, this storm is even bigger than God. Storms have a way of showing up these false beliefs. I remember when this hit me a few years ago, uh, my daughter was in high school at the time and um, you know, I was traveling around a lot, preaching and doing all these things, doing all the right things. And in the midst of that, we experience, you know, rebelliousness and just, you know, her, you know, her secrecy and, and lies. And, and it was just this thing that was just this chaos that unfolded in our family. And I remember, to be honest, my initial reaction was, wait, no, I, I, I did all the right things. I invested the time. I, I, you know, showed up at all the thing, the recitals and whatnot. I don't deserve this. This should not be happening. So as a result of that, God, you didn't hold up your end of the bargain. 
And we make these little bargains with God sometimes. You don't never say them out loud, but that the storms show that we expect something different. We demand something different than what we actually get. And the fortunate thing is that the storms give us an opportunity to ask ourselves, what are those false beliefs that I'm holding on to? What are those secret bargains that I'm trying to make with God? What are the fears that are overwhelming and taking? Well, fortunately, after Jesus comes to them, it says in verse 20, but he said to them, it is I, do not be afraid. He says, it is I, do not be afraid. Now, it's amazing that even as they see Jesus, he has to say this to them because in the midst of storms, he can seem very far away. It reminds me, I don't know if, you know, we're in New York, so I don't know how many of you are driving right now. But if you remember on the side view mirror, there's this little print oftentimes on the side view mirror on the passenger side. And it says objects are closer than they appear. And, and that little sign is there to remind us, hey, don't merge over into a lane. Don't switch your direction because you think things are further away from you, because if you do, you will end up in a collision. It says objects are nearer than they appear, that, that there's a distortion in the image that makes you think that things are further than they are. And in the same way, Jesus is closer than he appears. In the midst of storms, storms cause us to think that, there's, that he's far away. That he's far, and if we start to change directions based on that, we can end up going into collisions in life. But Jesus is wanting to tell the disciples and wanting to tell them, it is I, do not be afraid. Well, what happens next gets expounded in Matthew 14. It says, Peter said to him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come out into the water. And Jesus says, come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. So now we have the second person in human history to walk on water. And this amazing statement of faith is as Peter's like, okay, if it's really you, because I'm still not sure, then let me go out there with you. And he's walking, and before he knows it, it's like, wow, I'm walking on water with Jesus. This is so cool. But then what ends up happening is the winds start whipping. The waves continue to get choppy, and, G and Peter takes his eyes off Jesus and starts taking them on the surrounding circumstances, and he begins to sink. He cries out, Lord, save me. And Jesus immediately reaches his hand down, pulls him out and saves him and says, oh, you of little faith. Oh, Peter, you were so close. Why did you doubt? Right in the midst of when the storm seems to be the scariest, that's when you need to trust me and keep your eyes on me the most. Jesus is saying, look, I know that the storm is scary. I, I know that there's a lot going on that you don't understand. You don't know when it's going to be over. But he's saying, don't look to the left. Don't look to the right, but walk toward the light. Walk toward me. That is where the solution is in the midst of the storm. I am the solution in the midst of the chaos that is going all around. The thing I love about Jesus is he doesn't try to make a silver lining over the storm. Say, oh, you know, it's not that bad. Things could be worse. 
Jesus doesn't solve and resolve things that way. He doesn't minimize the storm. He maximizes his presence. It's not that the storm isn't dangerous. It's not that the storm isn't scary. It's that Jesus is Lord over the storm. And we see what happens next. As a result, it says, and when they got into the boat, the wind ceased and those in the boat worshiped him saying, truly, you are the son of God. This was a clear moment for them where they realized that Jesus's mastery over nature, his mastery over the physical world, the fact that he could speak and rebuke the waves meant that he was more than a great teacher. It meant that he was more than simply a rabbi or even a prophet. It meant that he was divine. Jesus is Lord over the storm. That is not just a statement. That's not just a saying. That is a a reality that can allow us to transform and change our perspective of how we go through storms. How do we know this? Because remember when he went back, he said, don't be afraid. It is I. Now, in the Greek, that phrase is ego I me. It's significant because that's not the first time that we see this statement, ego I, I me, am. I am. We also see it first when Moses is first encountered with God in the burning bush in Exodus chapter three. He is appeared by God and God says, I want you to go and deliver my people, Israel, from bondage, from slavery and from the land of Egypt. And he says, well, how do should I know? How would they know that it's really you that sent me? What name should I give them? And in Exodus 3.14, God said to Moses, I am that I am. In the Greek, that is translated ego, I may. This self-disclosure is a revelation that God is self-sufficient and he's all glory and he, and he deserves all glory. And here's the thing. Here's the thing. Stay with me for a second, because after they got delivered, from Egypt, if you remember, they find themselves stuck between a rock and a hard place, stuck between the Red Sea and Pharaoh's army coming. And in the midst of that moment, God tells Moses to put his staff down into water and he commands the sea to split so that they can be rescued through dry land. And that sense of being the I am, that sense of being able to command water, to to command nature, to rescue people was indelibly imprinted in the hearts and minds of his people ever since. So when Jesus says, don't be afraid, it is I, he's he's showing, I don't just have to tell the water to, to be split and walk on dry land. I am able actually to walk on top of the water. I'm able to walk on top of the storm. I don't have to have the storm go away. And it's the same for us. He doesn't have to have the situation of the storms go away. He can just be present in the midst of our difficult situations and that's enough. And that's good news because I am is saying that I am protection. I am sufficient. I am provision. I am whatever you need in the situation. Look in verse 21, it says, then they were glad to take him into the boat and immediately the boat was at the land to which they were going. Don't miss this. Once they were willing to receive Jesus into the boat, he dealt with their circumstance and their situation. So the amazing thing is Jesus won't just send us to the storm, but he will send us through the storm. And that's why we can say, It is well 
with our souls. You know, that song, It Is Well With My Soul, has been such a great source of encouragement for believers around the world since it was first written in the 1800s. But when you learn the story behind the song, I think it may give you even more of a sense of encouragement in its words. See, it was written by a man named Horatio Spafford. Horatio was a uh, solid believer. He was a friend of D.L. Moody in Chicago. Uh, He was a successful young lawyer and and real estate broker. But uh, when the fire of 1871, the Great Chicago Fire happened, it ended up decimating most of his land and property. Shortly after that, he ended up losing his four-year-old son. The combination of these twin tragedies caused him to have an obvious sense of despair. So his family and he decided to go on a bit of a vacation to Europe. They decided to just kind of take some time away from all of the calamity that had struck. But right when they were packed up and about to leave, there was uh, a circumstance that happened where he had to stay around to finish up some business dealings in light of what happened with the fire. So he just told his family, you know, go ahead, I'll, I'll just meet you in Europe. So his four daughters and his wife got on the boat and decided to head on while he stayed in Chicago. Well, soon after that, he would get word of another immense storm that would happen in his life. You see, uh, that the ship that his wife and daughters were on collided with another ship and sank in the Atlantic Ocean. His wife alone survived, and she sent a telegram that simply said, saved alone. Well, Horatio was, of course, devastated by another tragedy, another loss that had befallen him. And he decided to later go back to the scene to pay his respects and just grieve his daughters. Around the time he got to that same spot in which he lost them and the ship sank, he penned these words. When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. My encouragement, my prayer for you, Renaissance, and for all of us as we go through these incredibly challenging storms in these seasons is that we see that Jesus is still there. He may feel and seem distant, but he's present. That we would see that he's also Lord over the storm and that sometimes he'll split the sea and allow us to walk right through it on dry land. Other times, he'll just walk on top of that storm and invite us to come and walk with him. And as long as we keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, the Lord of the storm, that he won't just bring us to a storm, he'll also bring us through it. Let's pray. Uh, Father in heaven, I just pray for my brothers and sisters here in the city, here at Renaissance and around the world who are going through a lot of storms right now. And Lord, we thank you that you don't minimize the storm. You don't try to tell us, oh, get over it, or it's not that bad. 
but you maximize your presence in the midst of the storm. Would you do that for us right now? Would you do that for us? Would you help us to see the false beliefs that we maybe have held on to that we have to let go of in order to see you? Would you help us to identify and be honest about what those storms are, what those challenges are? And would you help us to see you as greater than the storms themselves? Lord, thank you for this fellowship. Thank you for your word. And thank you for the fact that you are Lord over our storms. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.